Happy Easter, everybody, huh? It's a special day. I'm Dave, and I get to pastor this wonderful group of Christ followers. What an exciting time in the history of our church. It's been a short history, but it's been an exciting history. Want to welcome everyone to our new teaching series called Emojis, as you've seen. Now, in case you don't know, and some of you might not, an emoji is a small digital icon that's used to express an emotion while communicating electronically. How do they do, okay? Now, for example, last year, when I went to get a haircut, I sent my wife a message that I was gonna shave my head. <laughs> now, my wife knows that when I get bored, I do impulsive and irresponsible things, so she, she realizes this is serious, right? She also remembers that against her wishes, several years ago, I shaved my head on a Saturday morning. So she responds with a message of her own expressing her feelings with the following emoji. Anger, it's this bright red, angry face. It's an emoji of anger. Last week, okay, but it's anger. It's, there you go. She probably looks something like that, huh? Last, last week I texted someone that I was praying for them concerning a situation in their lives. They texted me back thanks with the following emoji to communicate how happy they were that I was praying for them. A few days ago, I texted someone in a church from the building that my father-in-law Lloyd, while painting at the church building, had leaned over and his cell phone fell out of his pocket into the bucket of paint. They replied with the following emoji to let me know they thought it was very funny like I did. And every now and then, my wife, she sends me these two emojis which makes me want to run home and get home really, really fast, right? Okay. So we got a lot of different emojis to express all these different emotions. So in this teaching series, Emojis, we're going to look into God's Word, the Bible, to learn how to successfully navigate and manage. You hear me saying these words interchangeably? Successfully navigate and manage, you know, the emotions in our lives which are represented by these emojis. And you see emo emotions are a double-edged sword, right? When our emotions, you know, when, when our emotions are in control of us, it can be pretty destructive, right? And that's why in, in this series, we want to show you how God teaches us, instructs us, and guides us to manage our emotions in a way that honors Him, which is a good thing for everyone, us and those in our lives. This series is going to go for six sun Sundays. I want to pause. I just want you to commit for the next six Sundays, six Sundays, to commit to being here each week. It's going to be so beneficial for you, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, for your family, for your loved ones. It's going to be a historical time. We're, going to, we're starting this series here at the cinema, yeah. right? First time in the history of North Central Massachusetts that a church met in an active live cinema. Look what you've done. Amazing, right? We're going to... <laughs> and then we're going to end this series in another location, you know, at a new building that God has provided us, and what a special building, the old Sacred Heart School that we've renovated to be Chair City Church, to God be the glory, right? We're going to be talking about emotions such as anger, compassion, fear, gratitude, and envy, huh? Right across the board, covers a lot of ground. Now today, I want to kick things off talking about what God says about successfully kind of dealing with the emotion of sorrow. Huh? And you say, okay, sorrow. Mm. You know, so Easter, I, I say Easter, I came in, I'm pretty sure I saw two ladies like duking it out. Easter, resurrection day. <laughs> Easter, <laughs> resurrection day. 
It's like, okay, whatever. Whatever floats your boat, man, you know? <laughs> I guess you get your jollies if I say Easter. Resurrection Day. Okay, I'm cool. You can say Resurrection Day all day long, you know? Depends on how I wake up in the morning, which side of the bed, Easter, Resurrection Day, whatever. Okay. I chose to start with sorrow on Easter Sunday because as we read the accounts of Jesus, his life in Scripture, we quickly learn that the dominant emotion leading up to his resurrection was sorrow. Yeah. When Jesus, and, and when Jesus was resurrected from the grave, it was a, a glorious moment for all of humankind, and his disciples were filled with joy. But if you go back and leading up to it now, when Jesus tells his disciples at the Passover meal, which you might know is the Last Supper, that he would soon be betrayed and die, the Bible says that they were exceedingly sorrowful. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night of his arrest, he says to his disciples, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. After Peter denies Jesus, the Bible tells us he went out and he wept bitterly. After Judas betrays Jesus, he was seized with remorse. And this is one of the worst kinds of sorrow, the sorrow that we feel from regret. And so we see leading up to Easter, sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow, right? And some of you are thinking, God, get that worship team back up here really fast. <laughs> we'll get there, okay? Now listen, this emotion sorrow isn't something that was reserved for Jesus and his disciples. It's part of who we are as human beings, and we still suffer, or we still have this emotion, sorrow, to this day, right? You and I have that. Some of you are sitting here, are filled with sorrow to one degree or another. You know what? The Bible uses the word sorrow 108 times. And when you kind of dig into those verses a little bit, you kind of realize that, you know, there's this kind of a theme, a rhythm of, a, of particular causes of sorrow in the lives of those in the Bible, and that same thing translates to our lives here today. We see these four kind of categories that brought sorrow into their lives and that bring sorrow into our lives. And the first is death. When Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 17 that he was about to be betrayed into the hands of men and that they would kill him, his disciples were exceedingly sorrowful. Now some, of, now, some who know this story about the Garden of Gethsemane, and if you've seen the movie The Passion of Christ, great movie. I've only seen it once. People say, oh, I saw it ten times. I'm like, man, I, how do you watch that ten times? Once was good enough for me, right? I'm not, I'm not knocking. I'm just, I don't know. Just saying, right? So, you know, I mean, I, I couldn't even eat. I see people, I'm like, come on. All right, so some of you think they fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane because they were lazy, you know, and they, they weren't up to par because Jesus told them, hey, to take watch and, and they went and fell asleep in Luke chapter 22. But listen, the Bible tells us in Luke 22 that they were exhausted from sorrow. Jesus was near, coming close to dying. He was near and dear to their hearts. They were so sad that this was going to happen that they literally began to shut down physically, right? They could not function. They were so weary that they went into sleep in such a tender and critical moment because they were exhausted from sorrow, the Bible tells us. Now, some of you can relate, right? You know what it is to lose a loved one or being prepared to lose a loved one. You know the emotional pain that accompanies such an event, such a loss. 
You are heavy with sadness. You are heavy with sorrow. You don't, you just, it's hard to function. Sometimes you don't want to function. Maybe it wasn't the death of a loved one, but it was the death of a relationship, a dating relationship, maybe an engagement, maybe a marriage, huh? Or maybe the death of a job that, you know, you lost unexpectedly, just came on you. Maybe the death of a dream that you're beginning to realize this might not happen, or you've just concluded this is not going to happen. It's not the way it's going to turn out. These deaths result in sorrow. Another source of sorrow is disappointment. Where does disappointment come from? From life not turning out how we expected it would, huh? Maybe you expected to get that job, but you didn't. Maybe you expected to get that home, that, you know, but you didn't get the winning bid, right? Maybe you thought you'd get the promotion, but it didn't pan out, huh? These things, and they happen to different degrees, large and small. Friday, I, I got up at 4.30 in the morning, and I felt great. I felt good. I was charged, huh? I... I had already planned that day. I was going to seminary. I, I'm enrolled at Gordon Conroe Theological Seminary, and I'm, I'm getting my master's. I'm, I'm going for my master's in counseling. I'm, I'm grateful for that. And uh, my son, none of my children I have been at the seminary. I'm going there two years now. And uh, Justin, I was going to take him that day. So to his glee, I woke him up. At, he woke up at 5 in the morning to come with me. And we got in the car, and we drove out to South Hamilton, about an hour and 20-minute drive. We get there, I'm talking along the way, and I'm just excited with my boy, and I'm going to, you know, college, and I'm the student. That's great, right? This is cool. You know, I bragged about it a few times, probably until he wanted to throw up. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we get there, and uh, we go, you know, we walk, and it's quiet. It's very just docile and quiet, which, you know, you figure seminary would be, especially that early in the morning. So no, no, no antennas, no flags going up. We go into the hall and we go to the cafeteria to get breakfast and it's locked. And I'm, I'm looking, I look in and it's dark and nobody's there. I'm like, what's up with that? The cafeteria's always open by now. I'm like, why would the cafeteria be closed? And, I, and I'm thinking, oh, it's Good Friday, it's a seminary, maybe they would be closed for the day, right? Well, it was closed and they didn't have any classes. So, <laughs> so now I'm standing there and I'm like, oh, and I look at my son, he's just smiling, you know? <laughs> Like, maybe it was worth listening to all that stuff on the way up here now, huh? Because <laughs> my kids love it when I have one of those moments, and I often have those moments, right? <laughs> so, uh, all right, so the point is, you know, that uh, as that happened, I had, in that moment, I had seconds, right? Because I, I was disappointed, right? Aside from looking pretty stupid, I was, I was really disappointed. I, mean, I woke up that morning, thank God I'm going to take my son to seminary. He's going to sit in a class and, 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 just, and just feel this. I was very disappointed. It did not turn out the way I expected, huh? But in that moment, the sorrow began to well up in me. Because it does. It happens quickly, right? And I had to make a decision. Was I now going to let that sorrow, how was I going to manage that sorrow? How was I going to navigate that sorrow? Because it's there. Would I now let, would I not manage it well? And now it would take me down, might take me into other unhealthy emotions that I'm vulnerable to? Huh? It might turn around and, 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 and distract me from, the, from that I have this healthy, living, wonderful child that God has given me next to me? Might deter me that 
Just the fact that I'm standing here is, a, is literally uh, an incredible gift and near miracle of God that I'm at this seminary in the first place. But no, I, 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 I caught it and I turned it the other way. And I just started laughing. And I said, hey, you know what? Uh, we, we got some time. <laughs> uh, let me show you around, you know? And we walked around a different place. I showed him my mailbox. I'm thinking, man, come up with something quick, right? Here's my mailbox, right? <laughs> He's like, wow, okay. <laughs> and you know, and then, we, and then I took him, you know, I went to his house. I'll show you one of my classrooms. That was locked, okay. And then we went to the library. And in the library, you know, my boy loves books. And we just had, we were in the library for about a half hour, you know? And I really haven't spent a lot of time in a library. It's big, man. There's a lot of books in there. And, uh, you know, so unlike the students, I, I do mo all, my, all my study and all my reading at home. I just go there and then I just get on out and I get home. Uh, and so uh, it, it just, we had a good time. It took out like eight books and we just had a good time and not really set the rest of our time together for the rest of the hours we had. And it was a wonderful thing. Now, I know you might not, there might be something you're dealing with right now or recently regarding sorrow that's so much more significant than doing something, you know, mindless like showing up to your seminary on Good Friday, right? <laughs> it could be literally seemingly devastating. But here's what I want to tell you. The same principle applies. Oneness comes on you, and sometimes it comes on you quick, but often we deal with sorrow. We have a sorrow that we're carrying that kind of injects doses into us daily or weekly. Something we've did that we carry from regret. Something someone died. Something that happened to us in the past, you know? And, 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 and it just comes in us like doses. I don't want to get ahead of myself. And the question is, how are you going to work through that? Are you going to go on a trajectory that you get in that cycle and you're used to doing that where it just goes negative? Or are you going to pause and say, you know what? No, no, I'm going to manage and navigate this emotion, sorrow in a way that honors God. We're going to take it in a good place. And it's not going to distract me or detract me from what God has in my life. Yes? All right. The next way, okay, is, uh, is disappointment. Well, actually, I talked about difficult circumstances. All right, so the next way, category we saw that sorrow comes into our life is difficult circumstances. Sometimes we feel sorrowful because we're in a season that we think is never going to end. We're at a job that we're like, oh, my God, I got 20 years left. I can't stand another day, you know? We, we might be in a season in, in a relationship that... It's just, it's not going well, and it could be a marital, covenantal relationship, you know, that we just don't break frivolously, and it's like, whoa, you know, is this going to, we just feel it's going to be forever. We don't think temporary, we think permanent, and often that's not the case. And even though we know that, we would all say, yes, we still govern ourselves as if that's concrete, that's the truth. This is going to be permanent. If you're a teenager, if you're young, you could be in a season at school, whether it be a particular class or classes or teachers or a group of kids, and it's like, this is horrible. This is so difficult. You're overwhelmed with sorrow, and it seems permanent to you. You're in a season, huh? You might be going through something like that with your health, and that at times can be permanent, but not always. Either way, we're in this difficult season. Life is made up of difficult seasons. We grow weary. We get sad because we feel like it's not going to end, huh? Even though we might have seen that's not the case for us, it's not going to end. Now, I want to just interject something quickly here. It's a side note, but it's important. And that is, sorrow is not, ex is not a bad thing, meaning it's not exclusively a bad thing. You know, like all of our emotions, or most of them, I'm going to say all, it's like a double-edged sword. There's a lot of positive, a lot of negative, a lot of 
of it being productive and a lot of it being destructive, each side of the coin. So there are benefits to sorrow. I've seen as a pastor, every week, most weeks, every day, I'm introduced to sorrow in people's lives. Through a text, through a call, to, to one degree or another. Not every call, maybe in most calls not, but at some point in the day, certainly without question within the week, I'm going to get introduced to sorrow in people's lives. And I've noted, noticed this, that if they are able to manage that and navigate that, and at times they are, albeit maybe not that day, that week, but as they truly seek God, I'll see that they will manage that through that. And you know what happens as they manage that sorrow, as they work through that sorrow? A better part of them comes out, you know? Something in them that as they just work through that sorrow, they, they, send to, they tend to see what's most important in life, right? They tend to not want to spend more time with their children when they're going through this. They tend to be a little bit more affectionate, you know, and kinder to their family and friends. They tend to find some gladness and enjoyment in life's simplest things. That's what sorrow can do. It, and you know, I tell Christy, it does it to me a lot. I, I, don't, I, I can't flush this out, but I'll put it out there anyway. I tell Christy, one of the benefits I have of being a pastor is that because at times I am deeply involved in some of people's most difficult sorrows, right? I walk away from that in a way, uh, it gives me a perspective, you get me? So I might walk in thinking, oh, shoot, man, I forgot to change my oil again. You jerk, you jerk, you jerk. And now I'm in a bad mood, and okay, I'm walking into the hospital, and then I pause. I'm like, hey, Dave, you know, your pastor kind of get it together, like, you know. And I'll go into that room, and I'll work through that situation with people, and I'll walk out of there, and who cares about my oil right now? You know, okay, I, I, I got to, okay, stop beating yourself up. You know, it just puts everything in perspective. That's what sorrow can do, because I'm sharing, I'm involving myself in that sorrow. Now, I want to know you to know that there's a dark side of sorrow as well. That this is the danger of not managing your sorrow successfully. That you get stuck in it. Come on, there are people in here today, I'm telling you, you're stuck in your sorrow Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, was a, she was one of the first to recognize that there's this pattern of five stages of grief, of sorrow, right? Shock and denial, you're, often you'll just see the word denial, sadness, anger, depression, and acceptance. They eventually expanded that to hope, realizing it's hope. Hope is powerful. Seneca, why do you think we have a winner? What do you mean? I mean, why do we have a winner? Hope. Hope? Hope. It is the only thing stronger than fear. A little hope is effective. A lot of hope is dangerous. A spark is fine, as long as it's contained. So... So, contain it. A lot of hope, or hope is destructive. Destructive to them being enslaved. Destructive to these people being imprisoned. We are enslaved, we are imprisoned, we are being contained and held back because we are not living in hope. Because we're stuck in that time, in that place of sorrow that happened in our life, that overwhelmed us, that resonated in us, that just, it blew our minds to bits at that time, shattered our emotions, and we are stuck there, and we felt this sorrow come on us, and it was so overwhelming, we had to deal with it emotionally, 
And at that time, that was a good thing for our survival, but that doesn't work anymore. You've got to get out of that moment when you're embarrassed, when you're ashamed, when you're abused, when you failed. You need to leave the moment, yes? You're not managing that sorrow well. You're not navigating it well. And this morning, God is calling you to honor him, to trust in him, and to what? To turn to hope. That's what the resurrection is. More than anything else, the resurrection is hope. That's the faith we have as believers, as what you know, followers of Christ. Call a Christian, call it one. We have hope. It is the most powerful thing known to mankind. It's why they haven't been able to snuff out this thing called Christianity. It's why it's overcome so much, and it's why it's changed the world. You might not believe in God. You might not believe in Jesus. You might think this is a story. You might think it's an illusion. You cannot, no one can deny historically and factually that Christianity, those who follow Jesus, have changed this world like no other group of people to God be the glory, right? And that's because they were filled with hope. We don't say that condescendingly. We rejoice in that. We thank God for that. So, friends, listen. Don't be stuck in anger, in depression. You know, God doesn't want you living out your life down in the dumps, huh? Experience the life-changing hope, the power of God that will take you from being sorrowful to joyful this morning. All right, the next thing that Jesus teaches us, not only by his words, but by his life, huh? is bring your pain to God. Bring your pain to God. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, shortly before his arrest, the night that he'd be turned over to those who wanted to kill him, the night before he was crucified, it says in Matthew 26, verse 38, Jesus says this, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. He tells his disciples, stay here, watch with me. He then went a little farther and fell on his face and he prayed. He took his pain. He cried out to his Father in heaven. He cried out to our God. When he was filled with such sorrow, huh? he went to God in prayer. The Bible tells you, he talked with God. Do you do this? When you're feeling that pain, when you're sensing that sorrow, when, when you're talking to yourself, we all have that inner dialogue, that inner rhetoric, you know? That conversation, we wake up to it, we go to sleep to it. When you're sensing and hearing these thoughts of unhealthy sorrow welling up with you, go to God with your pain. I'm not telling you it shouldn't be painful. I'm telling you to go to God with your pain. Bring your pain to God. You got Tully Lake out there. It's a cool spot. We don't go there a lot, but Christy and me and the kids, we go there from time to time. We played us at um, the, uh, the Frisbee, the disc golf. But yeah, something like that's pretty good. I've got a nice course out there. Right. And, you know, and what, the way they this came to be, I think I'm right here, is that Tully Lake came to be to the, so that when the Connecticut River and Miller's River, you know, fill up, they don't overflow. That's why they made Tully Lake. Right. So that the levels in those large rivers wouldn't go above the banks and cause a huge amount of flooding and destruction. Huh. God gave us an emotional place, a, an emotional escape. Right. Where these painful emotions can spill into where we can take these painful emotions to, huh? To relieve ourselves of real emotional pain that comes from sorrow. And it's called prayer. It's called communion, talking to God, dialoguing, speaking to God, and inviting God into the discussion that's going on in our head, huh? The discussion that's been leading us and guiding us and bringing us to this unhealthy place of sorrow. 
But now more today, right? Today it's Easter. Today it is hope. Today you invite God, you invite Jesus into that discussion. Huh? Today you feel the power of what we know is God the Holy Spirit come upon you huh? and begin to inject this thought of hope into your life and telling you this is a different story. This is a, you don't have to be stuck here. You don't have to live this. You can take this very real pain. We don't like pain, huh? We were not built to like pain as human beings. But we take that pain and we bring it to God, huh? And you just thought, God, help me. I see this. I feel this. And before I run, help me, God. Let's talk about this. Yes? All right. So, and it's, it's sad, meaning it's sorrowful to me. Not sad like condescending, I'm better than them. No, I mean it's sorrowful. Empathy, when I see people do what I did for 28 years and mask their pain, you know, by doing drugs, by abusing nowadays often legal medication, by abusing that, by having unhealthy relationships sexually outside of marriage, it's not healthy. It's just not good. And, and again, you talk about emotions and you, uh, let me take a pause because I'll go here. But you know, I tell my children when they go on rides for me, you know, because they know when they're getting in that car, like, okay, here we go, <laughs> right? Remember, I, and I, is a hey, you know what? This is how it goes. You know what? Most people, I think what I see is they meet people and they go physical, emotional, or emotional, physical, all at once. They don't really know who they are yet. They're thinking about what they want to do, but they don't even have thought about what they want to be as a person, right? And it just goes kind of sordid ugly. At best, they hang out and they, it gets tiresome in a relationship, and often there's destruction and pain. I, I tell my little girl, I tell my, my boys, I said, listen, here's how you want to do it. You want to know who you, who you are as a person. Know who you want to be before you think about what you're going to do. Huh? Know what God has called you. Know God. Believe in God. And now you know who you are. Then you can begin to share some of your emotions with another person, right? Because now you know. Where, you know where you're coming from. You know what you believe in. And you can share more. And then over time of sharing those emotions... You can now begin to see that there's something here to commit to. You can go into a covenant. You can go into a marriage. You can go into a commitment from such a healthy, solid place. And then you can get to the sexual stuff, right? And I'm not going to go off on a tangent here. I know you have guests, okay? I said, you know what that all results in? Intimacy. Really good, wonderful, sincere, healthy intimacy versus the other way. And it's just, you know, yeah, it's not nearly as good, right? So all that to say is it's, it's just not a cliche. This isn't just an obligation. It's not a formality. It's a reality coming from our faith that we know and we have seen is so true. Okay, where was I? Look, you sober up anyway. You stop cutting yourself. You stop drinking. You stop doing drugs. You stop trying to, you know, you, you know trying to one foot out of the bed, one foot in the bed, or why am I laying here? You stop, you stop doing all that the next morning and nothing's changed, right? The sorrow hasn't gone away. It's just a cycle. You pick it up, you get through the day, and you go to again. Because masking doesn't work. But hope does, right? The Bible tells us that Jesus has taught us how to go from sorrow to joy by bringing God our pain. All right, next. Realize that Jesus is with you. How do we bring our sorrow to joy? We realize that Jesus is with us. We have trouble seeing reality in situations when we're hurting. It's just who we are, right? And that's okay when we're hurting, when we're in pain, because we're averse to that. We just don't, we're kind of clouded in the moment. Look, Jesus, 
Let's look to the scripture. In John chapter 20, verse 11 through 14, it says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated there, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Women, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. She stands there weeping, Mary. Jesus is right by her side. She didn't know it, but that was the reality. But because of her pain, it blocked it out, huh? She didn't realize that God was with her. You know, I love my grandfather. Um, my mom's dad, I love both my grandfathers, but um, my mom's, my, my father's father, who I loved, came into my life later on because I was adopted on my dad's side, and a precious, wonderful thing that happened to me in my life. My mom's dad, my mom gives birth uh, at 15 years old. So she's 15 years old. She's going to have an abortion. My grandfather uh, sits down next to her. She's sitting down, comes over. This is her story, how she articulates it. He comes, sits next to her, puts his hand on her, and says, Honey, you know, it's going to be okay. You, you can have the baby. I think you should have the baby, and, and we'll love you, and we'll love that baby with all we have. My mom's afraid at the time. She's shaken. She's 15. She doesn't, she's so afraid of the uncertainties. That, and what's happening? She's pregnant. All the uncertainties. What are they going to do? They're dirt poor. I mean, they are just, they are very poor at that time in their lives. And hearing those words from her dad just gave her this bit of courage to move forward and to have that child. And it's me. And you know, my grandfather, he didn't do much in life, man. Yeah, he didn't do much in life. He never got his driver's license. He never drove a car, man. <laughs> right? Simple guy. Huh? Get up in the morning, have a tea, read the paper, watch boxing, watch news, go to sleep. Right? But you know what he did? He loved me. He loved me with all that he did have. Through my life, he was the closest person ever to me. I cherished the man. I adored the man. I had many issues. I had severe behavioral problems. I did not treat people well, by and large especially parents, people around me, general public, but not my grandpa. I treated him wonderfully, huh? And then that day came when grandpa was struggling to live. He had an operation. He couldn't live on his own. And me and my wonderful wife, we took him in at 88 years old to live with us. Our first year of marriage, and we've got, we don't have any children, but we got an 88-year-old guy living in our farm, right? And, you know, he had three wonderful years with us. And then that last year, it kind of got difficult. And the last six to eight months, I had to daily care for my grandfather in all areas of life. And I was, he was in our home, and I was by his side when he closed his eyes and he passed away. And when that happened, I paused for a few seconds. And then sorrow filled my body. Unthinkable sorrow. And I dropped and I screamed, and I put my hands on her face, screaming and screaming. Diane, my mother-in-law, Christy, down, trying to help me, trying to hold me. Nothing would contain my sorrow. And then I heard something. It was a voice. I heard it was coming from another room. And I stopped screaming and weeping and yelling and pounding. I never thought I could go on living without him. This simple guy, you know? And then I heard my little boy's voice, Justin. Justin was in his crib, about a year and nine months old. And I listened, I sat up, and I hear him 
saying, praise God, praise God, praise Jesus as loud as day. A calm comes over me, and I have this sense that God is with me, that Jesus is with me, and this sense, this realization that he is with me now. And this hope fills me that he's with my grandpa, right? And I have so much reason. Hope isn't wishing. You could wish you're going to win the lottery, but you got no reason to believe it. Hope is believing in things we have seen, evidence that has been deposited into our lives. That's hope. We have reason to believe that God will do what he will, yes? Just the fact that me, a, a, a depraved young man who was so selfish and lived that way up until 28 would now be here caring for this man was hope, right? Listen, hear this loud and clear. Write it down if you have to, but hear it. During times of pain, we need to trust in God's word, not our emotions. God's word tells us in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 145, verse 18 says, the Lord is near to all who call upon him. The reality of your situation, regardless of how you feel, is that Jesus is near when you're hurting, that him and his power is available to you. First Peter says that as we submit ourselves, as we yield ourselves to the mighty hand of God, that he will raise us up. This is the reality of the resurrection. This is hope. If we're going to successfully move from sorrow to joy, we need to remember the reality of the resurrection. Now you might think, oh, Dave, hearing the voice of your one-and-a-half-year-old toddler speak audibly and clearly, saying something that he's never said before, was miraculous, and that miraculous moved you to a place of awe and brought you out of sorrow. Not one drop, not one bit. I don't remember anything like that going through my mind. Afterwards, I said, oh, you know, wow, kid, kid is blurting out, praise Jesus. <laughs> wow, he's like, you know, a year and nine months old. Yeah, afterwards, I was, I was moved. I was kind of blown away by thinking about it. But in the moment, no. What moved me, what brought me out of my sorrow was hearing praise God, praise God, praise Jesus was reminding me that God was present. That it reminded me of the reality of the resurrection. The sum of all my thoughts added up reminded me that I was remembering the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The hope I had in what Jesus did, right? That's what we have today. We have hope because Jesus conquered death. That's what our faith is built on. And if death is conquered, then what else? What else? Is there anything that cannot be conquered? Is there anything that cannot change? Is there anything that we cannot overcome? Is there anything that we cannot navigate, manage our emotions through? Is there anything that is so sorrowful in us that God cannot work for his glory in us? Praise God. Praise God. Praise Jesus, right? Look. Let's move towards the end here. So, Jesus says in John 16, 23-22, he tells his disciples, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into this world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice 
and no one will rob you of that joy. No one will rob you of that joy. Not one person, not one circumstance, not one sorrow. If you trust in me, if you follow me, no one will take that joy from you. Do you hear that? Huh? So how did these men and women who couldn't see and who couldn't see Jesus six inches from them, who were hiding and lying to little girls and servants, they couldn't even tell the truth. They were scattered. How did they go on to change the world? That's a fact. How? Because they were filled not with sorrow. Oh, they were sad. Oh, they were grieving. Oh, they were tears. Oh, look what I, absolutely. I can't imagine that bit ever left them, seeing him hanging and bleeding and suffering on that cross. I don't think that bit of sorrow ever left them, but they managed it and navigated it, and they glorified God, and they went on with that hope, filled with joy that could not be taken from them. Under the worst circumstances, persecution, suffering, even unto death, they could have just denied it. No way. You're not t- no one's taking this joy from me, huh? I know what I saw. He was resurrected, huh? I remember the reality of the resurrection, and I'll gladly give my life for it, huh? Regardless of sorrow, regardless of suffering, regardless of anything, I have joy in the reality of the resurrection. All right, let's move towards close. Listen, my friends, you can get stuck and say, this worship team wants you come on up, okay? Shanaz, tell them to shut that vacuum down. Listen, I want to come up here and preach. And tell them I said thank you for vacuuming. All right, we go from there. Let me calm my emotions down. <laughs> All right. I didn't say I was good at this, you know. All right, friends, you don't got to be stuck in sadness. You don't got to be stuck in anger or, or, or depression. You don't got to be stuck in these not-so-good stages, huh? You can pour out your problems to people, to counselors. You can try different ways. I'm not saying these are all positive contributions, whatever you think is going to move you along. But I'm telling you now, pouring it out to God, bringing your pain to God, there's nothing like it, huh? Remembering the reality of the resurrection will inject hope into your life. It will take you to that next place, huh? It will help you navigate and manage sorrow. Today I want to encourage you to turn to God, to turn to Jesus. If you've not done that before, if you've kind of just intellectually and maybe even emotionally kind of kept God on the shelf, huh, and not really just acknowledged him and talked to him and just invited him and brought him into your life, today I want, I want to invite you to do that. You know what it's going to do? Just by doing that, it's going to bring this calmness and it's going to increase your ability to be introspective, to examine yourself in a clear, healthy, courageous, and brave way, Yes? The Bible says that we can approach the throne of God, huh? the throne of mercy and grace, with a boldness and a confidence. I think Stuck in a Moment is like the third song on that YouTube album, and I think the fifth song is Grace, another great song. Grace, huh? amazing, abundant grace that God gives us to navigate through this so we don't do it on our own. Huh? You, you, you'd be amazed at what you can accomplish. You'd be amazed at how courageous and how brave God has made you to be to overcome this. So maybe that's you today. You're going to turn to God. You're going to turn to Jesus and say, you know, I believe in you, and I need you, and I have confidence in the reality of your resurrection, and I'm going to live from that hope, not from 
an old story, an old narrative. I'm going to live from the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. Yes? And you see that connection card, you're going to see you check off a box that says, I'm trusting in Jesus. Begin to consider that as they're playing the song. And no matter who you are, if you're in here now, as I've talked today, you're like, you know what? I, I think I am carrying sorrow in an unhealthy way. And maybe I've been carrying it for so long, for weeks, for years. Something that I did, the way people saw me, something that happened. Someone I lost, you know what? No, no more. Today, I'm going to manage that sorrow. Huh? In the hands of God. Today, I'm going to navigate that sorrow in a godly way, in a way that honors God. Yes? Father, we thank you for this time. God, I pray that as we listen here, as the worship team sings, sings that we can reflect on your truth, oh God. Lord, that, that our hearts would be open, Lord. That we'd shut the filters down. Lord, we would sense your presence, oh God, right now. We'd embrace this Easter on the reality of your resurrection and the hope that fills us and is filling us now this moment, this morning. Amen.